Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, The Atlantic had a fascinating essay about parenting and basically sort of coming up with the one thing that parents can do in terms of making a decision to actually help their kids. A lot of the article basically just talks about parents just can't have the effect on their kids like they think they can. And here's the best paragraph I read. As Brian Kaplan notes in his 2011 book, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids, parents have only small effects on their children's health, life expectancy, education, and religiosity. Though studies have found that they have moderate effects on drug and alcohol use and sexual behavior, particularly during the teenage years, as well as how kids feel about their parents. Some examples, one of the largest randomized controlled trials on breastfeeding found that it has no significant long-term effect on a variety of outcomes. A careful study of television use among preschoolers found that TV had no long-term effect on child test scores. A randomized trial suggests that teaching kids cognitively demanding games such as chess doesn't make them smarter in the long term. A meta-analysis of bilingualism found that it only has small effects on a child's cognitive performance and that even these may be due to a bias in favor of publishing positive study results. And Don, this article just goes on to talk a little bit about that nature versus nurture debate. And ultimately, it seems like nature wins hands down. What did you think about the article? Uh, yeah, nature wins. It was fascinating. And the one parenting decision that really matters is where you live. Your, your address has more impact than anything else in your life. And your parents choosing that address or your parents choosing the situation that landed you in the address or your parents genetic material has a huge, huge effect. And it's through adoption studies, through everything else. I was amazed by this and I've read similar data about other attributes that we can chat about. But overall, I was very happy with the choice I made because the article gave a link to the online database of by zip code by neighborhood and you can look up your children's future income based upon your address or any other address in our fair nation and it's a predictive factor it was a very humbling article because the amount of time that my wife and i spend thinking about decisions for our kids or what do we want our kids to do or what will we allow them to do yet after you read all of this it just kind of comes down to like you can make whatever decisions you want and where your kid lives, most likely that's going to be the biggest factor. What I thought was really interesting was they came up with a statistic that said that basically nature has about a 2.5 times impact on the future income that an individual will make, not nurture. And that was something I never would have thought. I always think about parenting for myself and then also for the students I think or I teach and I always thought it would be more about, you know, parenting. And that just doesn't seem to be the case. No, it's not. And the factors that we do choose are the ones they address. But overall, lots of it's inborn and how their predictive factors they're in. And it doesn't go with the common social media uh, or the common advice you get about parenting this or that. It's interesting. You found it hand-wringing. I found it liberating. We've made a bunch of choices. I think they're for the best. Maybe they weren't. Oh, well, we're moving on. The one thing that we chose the really was a choice made in 2004, where to live. That's done. It's a sunken cost. We can't hand ring about it now. You just moved. 
not long ago, it seems you moved from Oxford to Clarkston. Did you look at the old address? Did you look at the new address? You're right. I, I did not. And yet with this database, and I'll, and I'll put the database, it's called the Opportunity Atlas. And you can Google it and we'll put a link to it uh, in our show notes. It's fascinating. It's basically this heat map. And you can just go anywhere in America and drill down to counties, but then areas within a county. And you can find out basically what people earn. Now, the interesting part about the study was that basically they took people and they did sort of a blind study where they, using IRS data, they know exactly where you and I were born, for instance. I was born in Traverse City, Michigan. And the, the IRS knows that because my parents have to fill out their tax return with my social security number. Well, the IRS also now knows that I live here in Clarkson and they know how much money I make because I have to report that. And therefore, they can look back 30 years and say, okay, every kid that was born in Traverse City, Michigan, doesn't matter where they live now nationwide, what is the average amount of money these people are all making? And it's a fascinating number to look at county by county. Absolutely. And I just looked up your data. You made a good choice, my friend. What's, what are my numbers? Your old house in Oxford, your children would make 33000 a year on average. Your new house is at 45. That's among the highest. You're doing real well. That was the best parenting decision you've made in your entire life. <laughs> and really, it was my wife. I, was, I, I really was reluctant to move until she did that. Now, what I don't know is, is can you find somewhere in that atlas, though, where is that number, 45, is that a number that is what my kids are projected to make 30 years from now? Or is that from people that lived in Clarkson 30 years ago? And uh, on average, that's what they're making now nationwide. It is their average income, excluding spouse at age 35. And they will have a less than 1% chance of being incarcerated. Their spouse is likely to make 41K. We could put in more if we uh, put in their racial demographic issue. But your 59% chance of staying in the same commuting zone as adults. So there's a 59% chance your children will not move from Clarkston. Hmm, interesting. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating heat map. And all I can say is anybody should go look at it. It does make you realize that it's really difficult to sometimes move into some of these communities and stuff like that. I mean, I looked at Rochester, which also scores very high where you're located and, you know, great data there. But not everybody can afford to live in that community, for instance. Therefore, it also just sort of kind of shows how in some ways there's very implicit ways that people get boxed out of being able to make this sort of decision. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing is the neighborhood is the context. It's not only your where you live, but it's your children's friends, which are predictive of their behavior and choices. It is the school they go to, which we know that the higher income, the parents, the better the school goes and the better the school goes, the better the students chances of getting to elite colleges and so forth and the better their outcomes overall. And by the way, I just put in their income and demographic info. I have more good news for you, Zach. They're up to 63K because we put in your income and race and gender. Okay, look at me. I, I haven't, I've been a poor parent all weekend. I've just been at a soccer tournament, I guess. No, no, uh, no. The only thing that mattered was your choice of residence and you did it. But now they have a 50% chance of staying. They've made too much money. They may move to a better place, Zach. 
<laughs> it's 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 humbling when you say that because obviously you're talking data you're talking on the average and therefore obviously it doesn't have to mean all of that but my kids definitely seem like they're on a trajectory that other kids in America based upon where they live are not on such a trajectory and yet we have not talked about any of the minute parenting decisions that we made. Like for this weekend, uh, we, we limited our kid to, I think, one bag of small chips because we were trying to cut down on the sodium or something like that, right? And you'd say, wow, look at those parents really holding the line on their kid. Or I think our kid talked back a little bit. So one of us had to kind of go over there and get in their face and sort of remind them who they were, right? And yet it seems like from what this article is saying, maybe that's good parenting, but in the long term, I don't know if it's going to have a big impact. Uh, well, the data speaks for itself, right? Can we trust the data? If there's nothing else, that's what we can believe. But that's the interesting part is my wife and I were talking about this article a lot today, and she was really struggling with it. And I think I was to a certain extent, because don't you want to think that we do have control over how our kids turn out? Or doesn't this just seem like... It takes us out of the picture, I guess, in a way, or maybe it just makes parenting seem like it's doesn't matter. I guess I could just ignore my kids for the next uh, 10 or 20 years. Yes and no. Like, okay, so the average for your house, by the way, your kids are going to do better than my kids. My kids are only going to make 53,000 based on our neighborhood. Apparently we live in the slums. But the big thing is that that 63 is not that much money. You and I are just teachers. We make more than that. Um, although it's not very American to talk about money you make, it's certainly public record as uh, the state law is here in the state of Michigan. So you could find out how much we make. That's not that much money. And in likelihood, it's going to be more than that if they continue to pursue some sort of a career. But the average is the average and includes everybody, people that don't do very well, people that are, have other impacts in their life, they're, into, they're affecting them. It's just the average. So, but the, I guess it's what it is, it's the floor prediction. And so if you live in a nice area, the floor for your child's future is much higher and the ceiling is also higher. So it's not necessarily dictating exactly what they're going to do. It's just saying, where's the baseline? What are they likely to end up doing? And I think if you and I look back at our peers that we had in high school and middle school, then our, their success rate or their income, we're measuring success with income and for whatever reason that could be valid or not, is largely predictive of where they lived. I think that's probably true. I don't think you'd find many examples that are contrary. Right. I mean, they said the top five metro areas to basically grow up in in America in terms of this income number. And I guess we could have another discussion about, are we sure the best way to measure sort of success in the future is income? But we definitely know money at least to what? I think it's $70,000 does kind of matter in terms of a person's happiness. After $70,000, I think it starts to drop a little bit. But they listed Seattle, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, Reading, Pennsylvania, and Madison, Wisconsin as the top five metro areas that kids should be growing up in, I guess. Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Sorry, Reading. Uh, Think about the Reading Railroad there, Monopoly. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, no, that it makes sense. And it's interesting to think about that these are the important factors. I looked up my place where we lived in California. The, the numbers there aren't good, Zach. They're not great. Interesting. Uh, and that's where you lived. But you also kind of taught in more of a, it was sort of a more lower income school, right? 
And yeah, it was a working class school and it was where that's where we lived as well. We lived in the working class city of Cathedral City. We did not live in the high market issue of uh, Palm Springs or Rancho Mirage where, uh, but very, not that many people have kids there anyway, but long story short, yes, we lived in the uh, upper rent district. We didn't live in the upper rent district. So it's kind of predictive there as well. I guess the part that I keep going back to is Everything I've always thought is, again, that, that as a parent, I can influence my, my kids. Obviously, I still want to think that, you know, having quote unquote dad talks and trying to attend my kids events and, uh, and being there is important. And I think it's got to be. But the one thing I, I was thinking about is, you know, I've taught uh, a lot of 12 year olds at this point in my career, and some of them are great kids. And others are a real handful and they can uh, very, be very oppositional and be very difficult to work with for the entire school year. And of course, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, that kid is just not going to work out for him. But some of those kids come back to visit me like 11th, 12th grade, and they're doing great. They're on their way to college. They're, they're interested in like computer programming. And you just realize that, hey, when you're 12, it's just a snapshot of a very long life to live and people grow up and they change and they mature. It's not for everybody, but I do think sometimes you think you see somebody and you say, oh man, their parents have really done a bad job there. But maybe in the long term, the kid still turns out okay, whether or not they had good parents or not. Well, true. And it doesn't necessarily, the parents you have and the parents' effort doesn't necessarily relate to their future success. And again, the income level is not a great indicator of success. I would define success as being happy, as being healthy, as having a fulfilling relationship with the people around you and your family, meaning your spouse, your kids, things like that. I don't really care how much money our kids make, but this is an easy factor to look at. And we can see that certainly this does play a role. In the short run, you know what we should focus on 100%, Zach? What, what's that? The only judgment for us as parents is the quality of college our kids get into. We will be judged forever by where our kids go to undergraduates. So that should be our sole goal is to get them into the most elite college possible. You know, it's funny, but you're kind of right about that. People love to put, <laughs> they love to put that University of Michigan dad bumper sticker on there right or my kids are in the ivies and you you kind of walk around saying that a lot and you're right as a parent that is sort of the thing you get judged at in the end nobody remembers if your kid was screaming through the store with a bunch of ravioli sauce on their face and stuff like that but they do care about the college you're right and we have a good friend who went to michigan his wife went to michigan and his kid goes to notre dame you will never see him in Michigan gear ever again. He is a Notre Dame guy forever because that's where his kid went. Not that he's living and like believing this mantra necessarily, but that is part of it is that your allegiance goes to where your kids go to college. God help us. If our kids go to Ohio State, Zach, we're going to have to start eating Miracle Whip. <laughs> you would have been very proud of every Michigan soccer parent that I was around at the tournament because nobody said anything nice about Ohio the whole weekend. Absolutely not. As they should not. It is America's worst state. <laughs> now, I thought it was interesting because in that paragraph I read at the beginning, it just talked about how you and I, and these are studies that have proven this out, have very little influence on ultimately our kids' health, their life expectancy, education, or um, you know, decisions on following religion. But I did think it was interesting that we do have influence on risky behaviors like drug and alcohol use and, you know, sexual behavior and stuff like that. And I thought that was really interesting because 
aren't those the things that technically as a parent, maybe you would be the most concerned about your child getting involved with when they're a teenager? So we can't model anything that's good for our kids. We can only model the negative behaviors. Oh, great. This is great. <laughs> but I do think there's something to be said for honest conversations, right? And regular conversations about these sort of things and discussions about peer pressure. And I guess when I kind of look back at that, again, it isn't maybe, I guess, parenting just trying to help your kid avoid the major pitfalls that could really impact their life in a really, really serious and bad way. And we should be modeling uh, not drinking. We should be modeling a teetotaler lifestyle where we don't swear and we uh, make only the best choices and that all the other stuff is a waste. Oh, now I'm depressed. Well, or at least moderation and being honest. I think when kids ask you hard questions and stuff like that, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that we technically have some influence there. And then my other favorite was that we have influence on how our kids feel about us when they're teenagers. Yeah, I, again, I'm coming back to this is all on average. It's not necessarily following the average person doing the average thing. And as we have, traditionally our kids have not loved eating very healthy, but we've always modeled eating healthy and served healthy food. And now our kids have really adopted that. And it's interesting to watch. They've really taken on fitness and exercise. It's something that we've modeled and really care about and dedicate time to. And now our kids are picking up on that. I don't know if that's going to be forever or any even meaningful, but we're watching it as it does pick up. It does take time and the careness and caring and sharing and being empathetic and selfless are some traits that I think we've seen in our kids that we've tried to model. And you can't judge everything by the average. We can still find solace in our hope overall, but in terms of those are not all, none of those are measurable things. Well, and, and so you're not going to see it in the data. Well, so, okay. So you've just talked about how you tried to model, you know, healthy eating. Let's go with that one, for instance. And it sounds like your kids have kind of picked up on it and they'll, they'll eat some kale or some broccoli, whatever you're serving over there. However, according to the data, it doesn't matter that if your kid is bound to eventually just drink large slurpy size Coca-Colas and eat McDonald's hamburgers, like it's going to happen at some point, I guess, right? Like just because they're tolerating your, your broccoli doesn't mean that that's how it's going to end up for them, according to the data. And that's the part I have a hard time seeing is like, here you are being a positive model and it looks like your kids are buying into it. But as the data is suggesting, maybe that doesn't matter. Well, yes. And this is the disheartening part. It's like, okay, so I'm sure you read as we read that pregnant mothers should eat a diversity of foods and so that their kids will like that because they get the taste somehow in utero. And this was something that my wife did because she's an amazing human being. And now we have kids that eat fairly healthy. Is the average kid going to eat healthy or eat Bosco sticks? Well, the average kid's eating Bosco sticks and the average kid from the average home is probably going to do that. It doesn't mean that you didn't have an impact. It means on all, in the average, then kids are going to do what they're going to do. Eat sugary or fatty or gross trash. It doesn't really matter that their parents did that on a large scale. But individually, you can't say. That would be studying case studies. And case studies are hard to prove. We're not going to look back at the data and do correlational research and say, like, have the parents self-report whether they're eating healthy or not, because that wouldn't be accurate. And that wouldn't really help us. So we're just looking at a big picture saying, and you can might as well look at all the data and say, the average kid likes Bosco sticks. Yeah, the average kid does like Bosco sticks. And they'll take Bosco sticks over broccoli every time. 
doesn't mean one kid doesn't avoid it because they're modeling healthy stuff. The average kid's like sugary drinks. Fine. Yeah, that's just the average. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a direct lack of correlation or causation from individual parenting behavior. It just means the average looks like this for the neighborhood, not just even the household. Well, I think what's interesting is, again, choosing where you live is really important because I guess theoretically, maybe there's more people in Rochester eating broccoli and kale, and maybe your your child is friends with those kids, and they go over to those houses, and those sorts of eating habits maybe get reinforced more than Bosco stick world, I guess. But I guess just the idea that maybe you spent your whole life as a parent trying to model these sort of eating behaviors, and ultimately, nature still might win out. Like your kid finally moves out, and then they just become really obese, just pounding the junk food they couldn't get. Maybe that's why they resented you or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe. The article just uses the term parenting industrial complex. And I believe it was trying to describe just the amount of books, materials, resources, toys, things that are out there that kind of get advertised and marketed towards parent. Sometimes they try to guilt us into purchasing these things because we all want to try to give our kid that leg up, that advantage, but most of it doesn't work. I remember in college, we looked at something called the Mozart effect. I don't know if you remember that or not. There were these CDs with Mozart music. And because of how complex he wrote his music, if you get play it for your baby, then they listen to it, then they're going to become smarter. All the STEM toys that I see at my kids' friends' houses where they're learning to program already. And yet all of that just kind of seems like it's stuff that we're buying, but really is maybe not going to have any sort of a long-term impact. No, you're right. And it reminds me of Baby Einstein, which was uh, yes. uh, coming to the uh, sunset of their popularity right when we had our oldest son. And yeah, it turns out Baby Einstein has no effect whatsoever on the kids' intelligence. But that's how they were selling. They were selling play this tape, or I think it was a DVD, and your kid will be smarter. And God, if you're a parent, wouldn't that be great? Let's play this half hour tape and have a little bit of me time to nap on the couch while this kid's busy. Um, it was the dream come true. We really never bought into it. And uh, good for us because uh, just our kids would probably be eating with uh, spoons and no knives still if they had watched too much Baby Einstein. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. This whole thing does make me think about, I don't know, a couple, couple months ago, we talked about the idea of reading. And the latest data came out and said, it's okay if your kid isn't reading books very much right? And we just sort of said the kids are still doing fine. And you felt very relieved because you were worried because your kids are not very interested in reading, but they can read. And this just kind of goes back into that thing of, yeah, maybe at the end of the day, we hyper-focus on way too many things that are just not that important. Yeah, absolutely. And we, uh, talk, we don't want to get too tied up in that. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that I think is just a proxy for parent effort. I remember reading that if you're on the PTA, your kids will do better. I was like, okay. So I joined the PTA when my oldest son was, a, was in kindergarten. And it was a rough year in general. I broke my ankle and I quit the PTA after the year. And I thought, well, it just means that I'm putting in the effort. If you're willing to go to the effort to go to the parent to PTA meetings, you're probably going to have more effort in parenting in general and probably better outcomes. And so it's just a proxy for effort. And if you're a parent putting in the effort, that's probably going to be effective. That said, again, this data doesn't measure parental effort. It measures zip codes. 
Well, I and guess neighborhoods. And by the way, it doesn't even measure them that accurately because my subdivision is nearly identical on two sides of Crooks Road, which is just a two lane road. One side of the road, the kids average 74,000 per year, which is the highest I saw on any of the indexes. And the other side is 54. And we're on the wrong side of that. So I don't really think it has that much of an impact, but it's just the way the data rolls. Well, you have too many trees in your yard. You're not letting the sun get in enough. There's uh, That's probably, it. That's probably a little it. vitamin E or D or something like that. And on the other side of the identical neighborhood with the same trees, it's just better. I, you know, whatever. <laughs> you talked about parental effort. And I, I think that's it. That's the part that I want to go back to is, are you bothered by the idea that, that this article suggests that maybe we're going to have as little influence on our kids than maybe we think we're going to have by the kind of parenting that we do. You and I, I think, try to put in a pretty good effort to be dads and, and, uh, and raise our kids. And yet, is it bothering you at all? The idea that maybe you could try a lot less harder as a dad and, and still get the same outcome? No, it doesn't bother me at all. I enjoy everything I do with our kids. I, there's no regret in the effort or time whatsoever. What else was I going to do anyway? FanDuel? <laughs> There's nothing else for me to accomplish. I, I, there's nothing else I wish I would have done. The other thing is it measures income. It doesn't necessarily measure happiness. And I looked at my, aunt, my brother's zip code in Ann Arbor, his address, and it's a wealthier neighborhood in, I would argue, a better city with more highly educated people and definitely better schools and his kids likely to make less. Maybe they're poets. Maybe there's more artistic people in Ann Arbor. Maybe there's people that aren't necessarily making that much money on the books, but yet they are successful in their own way, doing things that they enjoy. And overall, I think I'd appreciate that. And your mom would be just as proud of you if you were writing uh, economic theory and making no money and being creative and feeling fulfilled than as if you do what you do or if you were a banker. And ultimately, as parents, we want to shape our kids to be the most successful they can. And this is just an indicator of income, nothing more. Right. But according to this data, too, though, is we can't really even shape our kids to to maybe even get into those careers. I mean, we can try to, you know, give them that exposure, I guess. But it just seems like we have little influence on those things. And I think that's the part that I just felt so powerless uh, in reading this. Well, you have two children, right? Yes. They have the same parents? They do. Grew up in the same household? Yes. Both had wiener dogs? Uh, yes. Are they exactly the same? No. Are they very different? Yes. So are mine. And that's what's crazy is that, that I mean, to me, that's, that's more evidence for the nature debate, right? Is I've seen families where one kid really successful and, and other kids just really big time failure to launch. And their parents were exactly as you just described. And you're right. Maybe just we have to accept the nature debate, but yet I feel like Americans can't accept it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like maybe this is the exceptionalism in us, but like, I feel like we've just got to find the right program, right? The right Mozart effect, and we can solve this. I mean, when your uh, favorite child uh, developmental psychologist, uh, Piaget, came to America <laughs> uh, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and was like, you know, giving off his research about child development, he said only in America did Americans ask, how can we do it faster? How can we develop our children faster? And it was an American question only. 
And I feel like we will never accept the idea that we can't have a large influence on our kids growing up. Well, maybe that's an American uh, megalomania, the idea that we're just controlling everything and all powerful and that we can change this. I mean, it's different for different people. I think most of us want our kids just to be happy, but we can see that they succeed at different ways and they're different kids. I look at my two kids and they just are different mentalities. One of them is calculating and has to be thinking about the system and how to find holes in the system and work around things. He's got a very analytical mind. The other one's very outgoing and based upon enjoys be interacting with people and just is very talkative with all the people he meets. I mean, they just thrive in different ways. And I think the kids complement each other. There's some Adam Grant has a book called The Originals, and he talks about birth order and what birth order play effects play on uh, children. And it blew me away. The old he says older children are likely to be less risky and more consistent likely to do the same thing for a while and take less risks. The younger children are likely to take more risks just for, for whatever reason. And he speculated on the reasons, but it's not important. And I reflected on that. And like, I've had the same job since I was 22. I switched employers, but it's the exact same job. And I switched once and I keep doing this. My brothers had like seven jobs and climbed up to a much higher success for most people's work analysis. And I'm happy to compliment him for that. But he's taken lots of risks and moved and done different jobs and has no security, but finds success everywhere he goes. He's a younger brother. And I was like, wow, birth order plays a role too. But we've had the same neighborhood, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point that you bring up that whole kind of facet. And, and I guess you're right that maybe it's not about the day-to-day -day parenting decisions, but it really comes down to where did you decide to raise your children? I guess that is a decision. And as you said, and complimenting me at the beginning of the podcast, I'm done. I've already done a good job, I guess. Hey, phone it in, Zach. Just cigars and gambling from here on out. You've done your job. <laughs> that's right. FanDuel, is that what you said? That's how I'm going to yes, fill my yes, time yes, now? Yes, yes. Smoke-filled smoke rooms and uh, gambling databases and so forth. You, you don't have to do anything anymore. It's all set. No, I think as you said, well, what else am I going to do? And I guess I've, my, <laughs> new, my new favorite hobby is to way overanalyze fourth grade uh, soccer games and, and uh, just kind of stew about if we gave enough effort and stuff like that. Hey, that's a, as long as you don't put it on the kids, you just do that on your own and talk to your wife about it. That's all good. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. Well, okay. So then I was thinking about the movie Minority Report that was with Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, I don't know, like 20 years ago now. But the whole idea of that movie was that in the future, based upon data that we know about someone's likelihood to commit a crime, we could arrest them before they even commit the crime because we have all of this information. It's sort of a, a kind of a haunting movie to sort of suggest the idea that we already kind of can statistically with confidence kind of know who the good and the bad guys are, I guess, in some way. And I guess like with a data set like this and this opportunity atlas, like, I don't know, does it sort of give sort of a haunting idea of, of here's the data, like here's your life statistically laid out for you, I guess. Well, I know that our kids are likely to go to prison less than 1% based upon our neighborhood. So we don't have to worry. But yeah, th this movie was very interesting and something to think about. What if we could predict what people are doing? And ultimately with all the school shootings and so forth, that's what we want to do is look at 
how do we find out who's likely to be a school shooter based upon their internet search history? Shvan, what are they posting on social media? And can we identify this person before they commit this horrendous act? And yes, we should absolutely do that. But yet now we're really stepping into this whole minority report thing. And how do we deal with this? And do we actually act, is this an actionable item? I know that in social workers, they get alerts when kids search certain things. I mean, is this just the next thing? And it'll be uh, the police come to your door because you've been searching mass shootings and you've bought a weapon recently. And can we track that and identify these people? Maybe we should. I, I don't know. It's an interesting data set just to look at this heat map. And I think what makes it so interesting is you can literally find where you live and, and find a lot of interesting statistics, as you said, about incarceration rates, income levels. You can also uh, sort by gender, by race. Uh, you even get an idea of how many people are teenage pregnancy statistics as well, based upon this thing. It's a tremendous data set that couldn't help but just keep scanning it and looking at where I grew up and where, I, where my kids are growing up now and then where I know I have friends that live. And it just gives you a lot to think about. In some ways, I think where my wife and I were just sort of having a conversation is like, it was it was hard to like, like it though, I think. I, I, I guess just the data is just there and it's it's not smiling at you in some ways. Yeah, I mean, your wife's from Minnesota. You're from Traverse City. You've both lived abroad. How do you feel about the chance, the 50% chance that your children will live in Clarkston forever? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's a, that's fascinating. And I, I guess you're right. I, I, I have no opinion yet because I've never even thought that far. But when you just said lived abroad, and I, and I did, I lived in Egypt. And I guess one of the things I was thinking about is if you were born in Cairo, for instance, it would be fascinating to get a breakdown of the data of what people make there because there's so many people there living in poverty and so few opportunities, but there are sections of the city that are very much kind of lived in by the wealthy who are very connected with each other and not necessarily the poor. And therefore, I'm sure you could take a similar study and connect it there and probably come up with very similar conclusions. Where you live matters, even if it's just in one city. Location in the city matters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's predictive of your friends, your uh, your school, your cohort you run with, which is predictive of your substance abuse uses, which are predictive of your grades and everything else. Like, it's just all there. No data in Cairo. I looked it up. Too bad. Uh, well, I, I again, I, I would be interesting, but I guess the more and more we keep talking through this, the more and more I guess this sort of makes sense. I don't know if I love it, but I guess it, it kind of is what it is. I guess, does this mean I can stop stressing out that my kid's struggling with the new math? Yeah, you can. I mean, overall, here's the thing that gives me solace at times. You know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. Regardless of intelligence level of or perceived intelligence level, everybody you know that can make eye contact with a human that works hard, have they found an occupation that is providing for their family? Of people I know, yes. Yeah, me too. Like, I, I don't know anybody that can have a substantive conversation that works hard that's not doing fairly well, meaning they have. And uh, admittedly, we run in circles with people that are probably like that. But I mean, even looking back historically at everybody knew growing up, some of them made awful choices. Some of them did sketchy things. They often got bad grades. You know what? They're all getting it. They're all doing it for the most part. And I, it's hard to find those alternatives where that's not the case. And that's our privilege from growing up in pretty, pretty well-off places. 
But even when I look back at the kids I taught in California, where they're growing up in rough circumstances, often very, very rough, they're all doing pretty well. I would encourage anybody that is interested in parenting or just in where they live and statistics that you can drill down to, to read this article and, and visit this data set. It, it is just really good stuff. Oh yeah. I found it fascinating. I was sending messages back and forth with my parents and my brother, and it, it was just interesting to see what they had to say about it. It was just overall very fun and something to think about. So. It's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Well, final question for you then. In the article, there's an interesting statistic they give out about people that live in Washtenaw County. Now, Washtenaw County is where Ann Arbor is. That is where you grew up. Am I correct? Yes. And is your brother currently living in Washtenaw County? He is currently. Oh, okay. So they said that basically somebody did like a Wikipedia search and they found that one in every 864 baby boomers that were born in Washtenaw County have their name mentioned in Wikipedia, meaning they've somehow done something notable enough in life to make it to Wikipedia. That's one in 864 people. And then they compared that with Harlan County, Kentucky, where it's only one in 31,167 people have done something notable enough to make it into Wikipedia. And I'm not really sure what exactly this is trying to show, but that I guess certain counties maybe once again bring up people that do something significant enough to make it to Wikipedia. Absolutely. And they've had opportunities to publish, opportunities to be involved in innovative thinking and so forth, probably because they lived in a place where a lot of kids go to college. And of those kids that go to college, they're probably involved in something or other or found some niche activity to be successful at. Washington County's got Ann Arbor, Chelsea, Dexter. It's a lot of places that kids seem to do well in. It's why people want to move there. It's why real estate prices are really high. And if it's high real estate prices, it's high net worth parents that get in there who have kids that are likely to get high test scores and go to elite colleges and do have opportunities that other people don't. So it's, it, it, it's just all kind of self-fulfilling here. Well, and those high prices are what also keep maybe people out that maybe would like to make the choice to be in Washtenaw County. Yeah, absolutely. Shouldn't we all choose to live there? Be a long commute to Lake Orion. That's true. For the record though, I mean, I could just type your name into Wikipedia or my question really was, are you on this list on, are you in Wikipedia maybe for a running thing or something? I do have a school record at the university of Michigan in an event that's no longer competed. Maybe I'm in there. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. There's a lot of Don McLaughlin's out there. Uh-oh. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely. It's a good time. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.